Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's the Bonnie Morning. Hey guys, I hope that you are having a beautiful Monday morning wherever you are especially if it's not Monday when you're listening to this. (laughs) Mix it up, guys. Monday morning doesn't have to be just for Mondays, okay? Today's guest is Caroline Mandeschlut, who is a comedian that I met uh, one of her first ever gigs. Actually, I think it was at her first ever gig. I met her. She was fantastic, just one of those true naturals. And she also happens to be a death doula. So... She's amazing at bringing like a really, really funny spin on stage to something that most people are actually quite terrified of, which is death. So we talk about that. We get into that. She's a mum as well, obviously. Another bit of a dark, deep episode. We're getting onto a bit of a theme here. Anyway, I hope that you're loving the show. If you have any ideas or suggestions for it, I would absolutely love to hear them. So do get in touch. And uh, this is your podcast. So let's make it whatever we want. But without further ado, please welcome... Caroline Mandeschlut. So, welcome to the podcast, Caroline Mandeschlut. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know, I know, I know. I bought your podcast. I know, thank you, and made me famous. Oh, this is the the turning point of your whole career. Do you think so? I always knew you were special. (laughs) Knew you were special from the moment I met you. Fairy godmother. your pumpkin coach of comedy fame <laughs> just outside. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here. It's just fantastic. So just for people who don't know of you, do you, can you just give us a little brief little nutshell of, yeah, who you are and... Whatever you feel like, however you feel like introducing yourself. Yeah, it's almost like in what order do I do it? What hat would you like to know first? I know, so. and does that mean you prioritise the first thing you say? Yeah, do I say the, the thing that I'm the best at first? Do that. So I might have to do the mothering thing last. Yes. <laughs> but just for the record. I concur. I am a mother of <laughs> not, teenagers. Not Yes, I feel the same way about myself. Yeah. So mothering was always the top of my list because it was the thing I did best and put the most amount of time. But I think as the kids get a little bit older and and maybe you like them less, no, you yeah. always you always love them. The more exposure you have, yeah. <laughs> That's it. The older they get and the further away for longer they get from you, you then start to fill your life with other things because you know they're going to flee the nest very soon. So. That's right. Yeah, that's true. And you have to fill that huge space that they take up. Exactly, yeah. Not so, quite sure what it's going to look like. Yeah. Well, what at the moment, like what, what non-mothering things do you fill your time with? Well, I do a little bit of stand-up comedy. Um, yes, you do. Mm-hmm. And um, which I sort of specialise in talking about death and dying because I'm always, I'm also a palliative care, a specialist palliative care nurse and work out in the community. So my life for a long time has been filled with death. So I've been a very interesting, very funny person to talk to for many years. But how brilliant is that? Because, you know, they say comedy is born out of pain and all of that sort of stuff. But I think to actually bring light and humour 
into that dark place is just phenomenal. Like, is that what kind of led you into doing stand-up? Like, were you finding humour in that line of work to begin with? Or, <laughs> yeah. or was it more like, oh, I just want to try comedy, and then naturally you were talking about those things? I don't know. I think I'm a naturally quite a smiley, happy person anyway, and people have always said, oh, you're so funny, you should do stand-up comedy. But I thought, I oh, know it's just the alcohol talking. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so I had a chance to do a, a, a stand-up comedy workshop uh, at as part of Woodford one year and, and met Greg Sullivan. So I did that and actually met you too uh, that yes. first time and performed with you in front of 500 people. So that was nuts. Yeah. It was and just, to have that as your first I know. It was very lushy, that Woodford crowd's very lushy. So, and it was really, it was just probably just meant to be. And and then I just braved it up and had some really beautiful mentors around me that just kept saying, go on, get up there and do it. And and I did. And I entered the um, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, the Raw Festival. Yeah, Raw Comedy Yeah, Yeah. because it's like, if you're going to do something, you might as well go all the way and tick off that box. I knew if I didn't while I was, you know, in the in the mode, I never would do it. So I did and did it, and ended up sort of becoming a state finalist. That's <laughs> so, fantastic. Yeah, so it's been fun ever since, and just met some really great, actually, some funny mummies, Anna Brennan and Jasmine Fairburn, and yourself. So just had a really great uh, group of really strong, incredible comedy women around me who have just kept me inspired. So. Which is so important. I mean, I think in comedy and in life, even, but to have like a community of mums who really get it because I don't think you can get I think it's like childbirth actually Mm. childbirth and raising kids it's that you know doesn't matter how much you think you understand you don't get it (laughs) yeah you always need a good coven or a good crew of women around you to hold you I don't think any woman can go through life without having that sisterhood there and I mean I don't have a sister so I've always had to Mm. gather the strong women around me and and it's it's amazing because my daughter has seen that, so she's been uh, you know, subjected to these women, which subjected. yeah, it's sometimes not such a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but how all come? What, what, <laughs> bad influences or what do you no, mean? I've just been. Oh, so my daughter's seventeen, like like your daughter, and's oh, doing yes. year twelve. So she's about to be the little fledgling that's going to leave the nest, and she's all like, "Yeah, I'm so going down to Melbourne to uni in Melbourne." So. And I'm like, yeah, 90% excited, 60% excited. (laughs) It's reducing as the time gets closer. But I've got – I grew up sort of in Victoria. So my women that I've been – that I've known and and been friends with for all of my life are all down there. So it was almost like I took her down to hand her over to them to say, right, here she is. She's coming next year. You've you've got her. And so – so she, we had it because everyone gathered and, you know, there was red wine and you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a pool comp and a, maybe a microphone and a bit of karaoke. But, um, Welcome to adulthood. <laughs> that's, that's it. beautiful initiation. That's it. I like but, how you called it a coven of women. That yeah. They, like that's perfect. And now you hand her over to them for the toil and trouble and cackling. And yeah. So if they, you know, she messes up now. It's really their fault, not mine. I love so, that. Yeah, yeah. It's just like oh, it's yeah. delegating. Delegation. Oh my gosh. Do you feel, I was talking to my best friend, so her daughter graduated last year and now she's off in Europe doing that whole backpacking thing and she was saying, I said, you know, do you miss her like crazy? Like is that just killing you? And she said, to be honest, I felt like I spent the last year kind of preemptively mm, grieving. I am. And I'm feeling like that 
Totally as well. Yeah, like, yeah and then they go on a little trip like your daughter did. So you sort of say goodbye to them for a short time and they're just so awesome. And And the other thing I find, especially as my daughter being the eldest, I find that I relive the things that I was doing at that same age. Absolutely. And then I look at what I was doing at that age and look at what she's doing and she's like kicking ass where oh. I was. <laughs> yeah. She's much better behaved than I ever was. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, see, because at, at my daughter's age, I was already at uni because I was a year younger than the rest of my grade and I was just going back through letters literally the other day and I found lots of birthday cards that I've kept, which is ridiculous, but <laughs> lots of birthday cards from my 17th birthday and they're all from friends at uni and a lot of whom I've lost touch with and just but remembering, oh, my God, especially uni days at the beginning. Holy moly. It's just like, I've been let off the leash. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Oh, no. She's got all of that about to happen. And they're so sensible, these kids these days. I know they give a bad rap about teenagers, but they're really sensible and mature. And, like, I think half the time she's more mature than I am. I feel like my – without throwing her completely under the bus. But <laughs> Throw like, under the bus. I feel like it's <laughs> been a roller coaster. I feel like she's either super mature and amazing or there's just, like, hormonal insanity. <laughs> but this year's been awesome. Like, I feel like she finally has come on the other side of that and mm. turned the corner and mm. now she's, like – 90% awesome. Yeah, that's the thing. It. And you've got to think about how many hormones are going through. Like yes. my son grew two feet in about six months. Oh, I just suddenly, I don't know if my brain, how long can you call it baby brain for? But I just thought you meant like grew two feet like his feet appeared. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, those as well. <laughs> Just literally just been lying around looking at a screen growing. And I yeah. look at he's six foot two and I just think, All right, oh. fair enough. Okay, I'll give you that, hun. That's a lot of growing you've you done. Your yeah. <laughs> go back you to your screen, hun. Yeah. <laughs> Lock that bedroom door when you go in there. Yes. <laughs> and only come out sporadically. That's okay. <laughs> I, I make sure I knock. We don't have a lock. I knock and I knock so loudly. And I'm like, Kayla, are you, is it okay? Yeah. Like, I don't want to have that quintessential teenage moment. <laughs> I really don't want to have it. So, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, boys um, are a whole other thing. Let's talk about the girls. crazy. Oh, my gosh. The girls are amazing. So can I just backtrack a little bit to the palliative care stuff? Because I, I love your stuff and I love so much that it's not just shallow, superficial Blah, blah, blah. Oh, that was quite amusing stuff. Like, it is quite thought-provoking. And you go to a place that a lot of people are quite uncomfortable mm. um, talking about. Like, um, yeah, just I just i am so curious to know, like, how is that for you? Like, how do you feel doing that? Well, I'm really, really passionate about death and really passionate about people having choice around their death. And our society does death really badly. Mm. It's almost like the, our medical system so amazing that you sort of get shocked when someone dies. But people die, like 100% guarantee they're going to die. You know, yes. That's why I'm so good at my job because I have 100% success rate. Amazing. So, so I'm... Such an <laughs> It should be at 110. See <laughs> so how I go. That means people have got to die twice. That's I don't your next goal. You're getting into know. all the little deaths there. That's a whole other topic. The small, so. yeah. <laughs> the small deaths. So. Yes. Um, <laughs> now you put me off. Sorry. <laughs> oh. But, um, yeah, so 
So uh, there's a statistic, because I work in the community, so I specialise in people who want to die at home. Yeah. And there's a statistic that's come out of studies that say that 70% of Australians would like to die at home, but only about 14% do. Mm-hmm. So I am an expert and a specialist in that bit of the 70%, you know, how do people get to die at home? And it's not necessarily, you know, our medical system and our uh, support um, services out in the community is one thing, but it also our community of carers and, you know, loved ones and friends and, and gathering together as a compassionate community to hold that space for someone to die. Like that's how it's going to happen. Mm. So I do a lot of talking to people about death literacy and part of doing the stand-up comedy was to get more confident in speaking in front of crowds and knowing how to use a microphone and just... Because there's lots of voices out there talking about death and dying, but often they're very academic or very gentle and spiritual and nice. And, you know, I can be those things sometimes, but I just think it's good to have different voices talking about these really big topics. So, And it's a key in, isn't it? And, and because comedy, like laughter, it's such a tension release mm-hmm. and obviously talking about death, I mean, my goodness talk about tension but to have that I think yeah you put people at ease mm. and they're more and I'm no different like I'm exactly like this when I'm having end of life conversations with people and sometimes they're really quick conversations that I've gone in and literally just met someone as the nurse mm-hmm. and can see things are happening and have to have those like all right well I can see that like last week you were concreting then this week you're barely getting into bed, there's a fair chance that you're not going to be here next week. And so you sort of have to say to them, right, Mm. do you want to be at home and and what have we got in place and how are you supported and have you got all the drugs? And so, you know, that's – and if you can have those really confident conversations with carers, they can hold that space for that loved one and that's, you know – and you can do that in a really gentle, loving professional and humorous way where you just keep it light and keep it gentle but – get yeah. right down to it. So I don't really shy away from the hard stuff. And and I just think it's it's about teaching people. When you see someone do that and you see someone have a conversation and they sit in that space, you learn so much by watching and observing and then doing. So mm. I know, it's like the Indigenous, you know, if you're going to go and learn how to weave with a with an Aboriginal elder, they don't tell you how to do it. You sit beside them and you watch them. Yeah, wow. And you mimic. So, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and in terms of like uh, you said, so like using humour in those situations, how, like, how does that go in terms of like reading the room, I suppose? I know with my work as a clown doctor, it's so much about reading the room mm. and, you know, meeting people where they're at and, um, changing your approach if you need to and all of that sort of thing, but how wonderful it is to laugh in dark times. Yeah. Yeah, how, how do you kind of deal with that? As in talking to family members? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's hard to put words to you because I think it's something that I've just been doing for so long. Like I've been a nurse for 30 years, so wow. I've been in that place for many, many years. So it's a natural way of being for me. And I can just instantly go so calm. And, you know, there was a few things that I used to try and fill spaces if people weren't talking and I'd try and chat to make, you know, and once I got realised that that's what I did and just stopped and Mm. then allowed that space to then listen, then you're actively listening to 
and then people just start to open up. So I don't know, I think it's it's hard to put words to how exactly to do it, but it's just listening in to the people that you're talking to and giving them the space to then for them to talk and then yeah. you pick up and you use their language and pick up on what they're saying and, you know, because often – and remember I'm working in fairly intense situations yeah, of, of you know, you sort of, all right, what's the biggest thing that's worrying you? And then work down from that because yeah. it's not about what I think is important. If the biggest thing that's worrying them is what's going to happen to the dog when they die, you know, then that's the biggest thing. That's the, you start to prioritise what's, yeah. what you're going to work with. And so. then just like, I mean, I guess you get a sense of if people are up for laughing in the middle of that. Yeah. Like, to, you know, lighten things up. And people do, there's the sound of laughter and the sound of crying both release the same emotion. So mm. crying releases grief and laughter releases joy and love. And in grief, the more grief, you know that there's the more love. Yes, so they're both interchangeable. So when someone is so overwhelmed, and I'm not afraid of people crying too. I think when people start to cry, often people are like, oh, you know, touch them or hug them or hand them some tissues or interrupt them in some way, whereas I don't. If you were, if I was going to make you cry, which is one of my, it's ah, one of my special talents. <laughs> I don't then, need a lot of encouragement. I can tell you now. I oh, I can see out. that. Yeah. <laughs> But if someone sort of starts to go into that space where they really need to weep, it's let just don't interrupt them. Let them get it out because it's they're spilling off the top that needs to come out. You know, trying to hold on to an uncried cry is really, really hard. And then it comes out somewhere like, you know, the supermarket checkout. Yes. So, yeah, and, and if you can... And, and that's good knowledge. That's good knowledge for anyone too. Sitting with people who need to weep, just let them weep. They'll stop. Yeah. You won't cry forever. So. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, I know when I was so I took care of my mum at the end of her life at home, and she again was just adamant that she was going at home. And my sister and I were like, "Oh, how on earth would we even begin to do that?" Mm. Um, but then finally, like, just sort out services, and there's yeah. there is support out there to make it happen. It was yeah. unbelievable. But for us, like, laughter really got us through. Like, it really, really did. Because I went through this sort of existential crisis at the time, just going. You know, when someone close to you is dying, you do think about life and what makes a good life and, you know, what's this, what's it all for? And I really thought to myself, I don't even know if I should be doing comedy anymore. Like, is it important or is it even just a selfish waste of time? And, um, but then during that time, I just, how much even watching comedy or making jokes together and joking with mum. And, I mean, we were really lucky. She kept her sense of humour mm. right up to the end. She was hilarious. Um, and it just was our life raft. I think it goes that. in both hands. I don't think you can not have one without the other. I mean, obviously you get families that are always really serious and never really laugh but uh, and get really confused with all the smiles. But it's, you know, that's... People live, They people die the way that they live. Mm. And I think it doesn't change. And that goes from anyone from young people and children right through to the elderly. It's, they don't, people don't often have these big changes. If anything, they let go of the things that aren't important anymore and then become, I guess, more pure and more real and more about what 
what actually is important to them. So, yeah. and you know, the thing about working in that space, and and there's going to be lots of people coming out. You know, the death doulas that are going to come out who have done work. You know, like yourself, in a way, you're a death doula because you've held space for someone to die. I loved it. <clears throat> I really loved it. Yeah, and then you, you know, if you meet someone who's doing the same thing, you know exactly what it's going to be for them. So whatever you little bits you can share with them, and that's where that compassionate community comes in. You know. Mm-hmm. All our, I know in my stand-up I'm doing a show with Greg Sullivan called Heavy. Mm, and fantastic. Yeah, Greg's amazing and has is an amazing mentor and, and I tell a story in my uh, in my death literacy work. So I've got, you know, comedy on one side and this serious death stuff on the other, but it's all really starting to mingle in and join now. And he said, I want you to tell that story. And it's a story about my friend dying um, of breast cancer and she was young and funny and dynamic and fought hard but she died and and when I told that story for the first time in a public forum that was about 60 people in the audience it was just about just hold space with this story because this story is about you or your mum or your sister or your you know the young mother who will die it's you're not gonna. It's not about talking about preventing that from happening, uh, or saving them because some, people do. So mm. it's really about knowing how to step up and respond to that in a really holistic and loving way, and not be freaked out about it because it's so sad. So, so sad. And I loved in that story that you shared. I won't spoil the punchline or how that goes, but just like there is so much laughter in that story, which you go, how does that coexist? But mm. it's so wonderful and joyous and the way you describe that and what that brought to that environment mm. is just, oh, it's just beautiful. Yep. It's so magical. And it's a dynamic woman who died the way she lived, it's created it, made it happen. You know, yeah. I shouldn't have even been there. I was not even working and yet I was there. So it was just, I just think there's a bit of magic in the way that things manifest and I think when it comes to death most people shy away from it because it's just so awful to think about mm. <clears throat> but if you don't if you come right up to it and go right let's have some choices around this it can be amazing and then you get those really amazing death stories it's like birth stories you know oh, like when you you have yeah I know that when I was pregnant the first time I got right into reading that um Spiritual midwifery. Did you ever read oh, that? No, I didn't read that. One. Oh, it's like a written by a woman who had um, in America who they had sort of like a big commune where they did a whole lot of. Um, it's written in the seventies, so a lot is of she the. She's the one that wrote like the water birth book and all that stuff. It's, or is it it's Ina name? Ina May. Oh no, it's not. Yeah. Yep. But a lot of the birth stories were like, oh, they're all 70s, like, oh, my God. And they don't call them contractions. Um, the rushes and they were just like making me real, feel like really blissed out. And so it was all this stuff. The actual what? I know. And I read that and just thought, all right, that's my birth plan. I'm so going with the rushes and the bliss out. <laughs> Hi, doctor. I'd just like some ecstasy. Not the drug. I just want the feeling. If you could make that happen. Yeah, I want to be. Bl- I heard someone once describe it as orgasmic. Mm, my friend did. What? What? She had an orgasmic birth and then God, I'd hate to dropped her, her kid in the gravel. That must be horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it was There's orgasmic. Screaming coming from the bedroom again. Oh my Mum's going right off. Yeah. That's 
Unbelievable. But we share really good bets. Or I don't know, mm. but the my people that I've been around because I I had a home birth. At, oh, my wow. kids bought at home, so I was very much I'm not going to hospital. I'm a nurse. I know what can happen, and I really wanted to make sure that that incidents of things being done to me, you know, I just wanted yeah. to empower myself, and that's what I chose, and had a really good support with a program in Perth. But um, so I was around a lot of people. So heard a lot of really great positive birth stories and it gave my, uh, going into my birth, I wasn't thinking about all the things that would go wrong. Mm. It was more about how I would make it go right. So, yeah. It is so similar, isn't it, to birth? I felt that like as in you're sort of all gathered round, you've got a beautiful, like ideally, like nice calm space, music playing. You don't know when it's actually going to happen, but you know it is going to happen and it has to happen and it's emotional and oh, even the smells and like, it's without yeah. getting too graphic, but just the, yeah, it really reminded me of birth and the sacredness of that space. Yeah. And, oh, well, it's transition. Yeah. So it's, you're transitioning into the world or you're transitioning out of the world. And it's actually... Working in that space of transition um, <clears throat> is something that I, you know, because I dealt with death in my professional life really early and it was just like, I come on the ward and everyone wants to die. Like, you know, they all waited till I got there and then they died. And like, wow. yeah, so I have not really been involved in any resuscitation. All the people that have died with me have always been allowed to. So, mm. and I've probably been with, you know, two and a half thousand people who have died. So... Wow. It's like I've got the notch up. But it's not like you coming into a room. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm looking after it's them, it's just like, hi. Oh. <laughs> they love it when I look after them. I'm so smiley. You are and super smiley. You're and the gentle. And, person to see. Yeah. Absolutely. Not just when you're dying. <laughs> I enjoy seeing you and I'm in good health right now. Um, but so one day, honey. One day. But I would want you there. Yes. You've That's what everyone says energy. too. It's just like, do you realise I'm older than all of you? Like, I'm trying to teach you guys how to hold that space. So you're all there when I'm dying. You're see? like a parent, see? You're like, you need to flow the nested by yourself. I'm not here to do it all for you. That's it. I'm just teaching you. That's it. That's Can it. I ask, so obviously it's influenced, I mean, it's such a massive part of you and that's influenced your comedy. Like, how has it influenced your parenting? <laughs> like with the, um, I brought you into this world, I can take you out again. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Actually, my son wrote that on a Mother's Day card, like, you know, this little beautiful little poem, like, Mom, I love you, yada, yada, and then just said, you brought me into this world and you can take me out again. <laughs> I was just oh. like, oh, honey, I don't know if that's appropriate or not. But for you, that's quite perfect. Like, I totally could. So like, you never show the kid to teacher. Now they're calling child services. Like, you're at risk. So Actually, I'd call child services myself because... <laughs> Take away. They're in danger. They're a holiday. Not permanent foster care, just a weekend. Yeah. I'll get my shit together. And that was him. Like my friend who I tell that story about was actually my son's kinder teacher. So they would let him, and he's a very creative little fellow, but I would get, you know, when they would do um, a picture and they'd stick it all up in the wall and all the mothers would get there to pick the kids up and be reading. And his was up, another Mother's Day one, saying, you know, I love my mum. And all the others were like, because she cuddles me. And she's like, he wrote, I love my mum because she's fat. (laughs) Not really. She can lean down to the rug and pick up things. <laughs> That's like That's thanks. a unique compliment. 
He's thought that through. And it's like saying to the girls and the kids, like, can't you just, like, coach him on saying something a little nicer? So just because I'm fat and I can pick stuff up off the carpet. (laughs) But they were like, no, let him express himself. Yeah. I'm not going to be a helicopter teacher. Oh, my God. My son once um, painted a picture of me, which was hilarious, and wrote on it, um, I love my mum because she loves lasagna uh, and oh, she also goes out with her boyfriend all the time. <laughs> like, what boyfriend? Like, now, oh, like it just. This was so before John and I were married, okay. and just went great. Thanks, mate. Like, <laughs> throw me under the rug. I'm just a carb loving, yeah. lover girl. Slorry. Oh dear, aren't they beautiful? Um, <clears throat> and do your kids like they understand what you do, and like, does it? Does, oh, here's my question: Does it change? Like, do you constantly say to your kids? stuff like, you know, have some perspective on dramas and things given the serious nature of the stuff that you're dealing with every day? Like, do you find it hard to, like, take seriously their petty oh, shit? Look, kids have so much petty shit. I, I think as a nurse too that I'm a little bit, like I, anyone who's out there has got a mum as a nurse, you know that you either have to be bleeding from an artery, vomiting up something or unconscious to get any, or have a really obviously broken bone that's sticking out of your arm. Then. Yes. <laughs> then you get attention. But other than that, it's like, you know, just here go, have, have some rescue remedy and, and go and have a sleep. It's like, yeah, you're not dying. You're not, yeah. Yeah, you're, but you're but that's just more. because I'm not worried about lots of little things because I've worked in the Royal Children's for years and, you know, so I'm not, don't have that same panic about stuff. Yeah. But the thing is with the kids is that because we live because we live in Gympie, so it's a small community. And so they've been very ingrained in that community. We lived and ran a restaurant. So they were up in the restaurant, so people knew them. And and I would go on call often with the work phone. So whenever that – and you know what kids are like when you get on the phone. Like your Aww. friend rings and like, bah! <clears throat> Absolutely. You want to talk to someone. But seriously, that work phone would ring and they would stay away. And they were quite little too. So they always knew that that was important and that I was helping someone. So, and then as time has gone on, they have a, because it's a, a community organisation that's community funded, they've had a lot to do with the fundraising of that. And, you know, then there's all the retired ladies and men that volunteer. So they're all sort of grandparent figures and I don't know. It's That's like beautiful. they've really been loved by this community, one, because I've been the nurse there, but also because they've known the kids as well. So for them, I know that they there's an importance in knowing that holding that space is really important for people. So mm-hmm. they've had a really good understanding of it. And we actually, for Dying to Know Day last year, we did that um, – What's it called? It's like a little mini TED talk on steroids where you talk for five minutes and do the slides. Oh. Um, I can't think of the name of it. You'll have to look it up. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, <clears throat> but we did that. And so my daughter did one as well. And so all of the academics did it, all the doctors and, you know, really important people. She got up there and spoke from the perspective of a child when it comes to death. And because she's been around it and around the conversation and it's really, really normalised, then she just comes to it from a different point of view and she just gave this incredible talk. And um, 
and spoke about sort of a friend of hers who was in the same year level whose dad had died and she could come to him from a different way because she knew that she wasn't afraid of talking to him about his dad dying and yeah. and then and also then getting the other kids to say hey give him a break like if he's acting out or you know whatever he's going through his dad's just died so we've got to really support him and pull together so as wow. you just got those sort of you got a mini little Death doula coming up as well. I guess so, but wow. it's just because they've been around it. It's in mm. the conversation. It's normal, you know, whereas some people, you meet some adults and they've never had anyone that they've known die. Yeah. And as time goes on, you know, someone's going to. So it's like that fear of who is it going to be? And Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, because my, my mum died when I was five. Mm. And so that was just such a massive, obviously, turning point in my mm. life. But the, it's a Disney the, film, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I was <laughs> Nemo. <laughs> so evil camp uncle trying to take over. Um, you didn't get any superpowers. Oh, you did, actually. I did. I, yeah, I am a superhero. Um, I do sing a lot. I know. There, well, there you that. go. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to think who the warthog is in my life. Anyway, <laughs> I better not even try to go there. Um, yeah, but the before and after of that, of going, gosh, like being aware that, oh, my God, like anyone can die at any time. Mm. Like, And especially like for her, it was completely out of the blue. She's a very healthy woman, had an aneurysm yeah. and died really quickly. Yeah. So just this shock of that. But I think my response to that was just, being utterly paranoid that anyone I loved could die at any second. Mm -hmm. Like, so, whereas now, I mean, I still have that, some, like if my husband's late getting home, you know, my, He's I will just go not, to that. Yeah. But, like, but I'm very good at talking myself down now. Yeah. Going, it's okay. Rationally, that's probably. And like anything, case. you have to manage anything. Like if I think about it too much about any of my children dying or even my parents and they're going to one day, but, you know, I can't, you know, I can do what I do because the people and occasionally it's people that I do love, but the the people, they're not my people. They're not yeah. my mum and they're not my grandmother and they're not my, you know. So when people do die that are my people, it, it sort of... Yeah, it's, it's not a, like you're this hardened wife. No, and, God, no. Yeah, it means nothing, whatever. Yeah. Someone bites the dust. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I really feel it. And I do have a soft heart and I cry a lot more than I ever used to. So it's sort of, um, you know, I'm always professional, but I think you can professionally weep. Absolutely. <laughs> and you want to. I mean, that's not the answer. I, I, I strongly think just even through the clown doctoring stuff, like you can't become a robot or you mm. can't connect with people. No. You know, like I think it's beautiful to be that affected still and empathetic. And, and you've got to connect with hearts. It's you, you can't be out there in the world doing anything because it's about it's, it's sending out love. And I learned this in a course I've been doing, but women – send their love out through their hearts and they receive love in through their yoni. <laughs> and that's the cycle that it goes. So as a woman, you are always going to send love out through your heart. So it's just a natural way of doing things. So, And there's nothing, I don't think you have to block that or not that let that happen. That's about just being a whole woman is, you know, and you need to Beautiful. nurture and nourish yourself and you need, you know, you definitely have to balance. So... For a long time, I balanced the death with birth. So I would be a doula for women having babies. Oh, wow. 
Or just more friends who I would say, have a baby so I can balance my life. And so, so they I would. So through your yoni. Yeah, that's it. And then and then they stopped having babies, which was really rude, I thought. So you know who you are out there. Stop having babies so I didn't get my balance. So then I went into comedy and there you go. <laughs> got lots of balance there. You have to punch that. <laughs> that's it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. So, okay, so before we go, this has been such a beautiful chat. I just, yeah, I love you. I think you're absolutely wonderful and gorgeous and I can't wait to see what else you're going to go for <laughs> in this world and spreading your beautiful death message through comedy. Um, that sounded like you're evangelising death. <laughs> Guys, come on. You must laugh. You. Um, so I have some rapid fire questions. Oh, gosh, all right. Under the pressure. Um, what is your life motto? Love. Beautiful. A moment that you're not proud of. Oh, gosh, many. <laughs> I reckon that the time with your kids, and it's not one particular time, when you literally feel like the top of your head is going to explode off and you scream so loudly and oh, then they learn new words. <laughs> yeah. I've had plenty of that, usually yep. in the car, which yep. I think is worse because the sound is so yeah. And the kids go, stop, stop screaming, mum. <laughs> Uh, I've also pulled the car over before and said, get out, get yes, out of the same. car, get out of the car. And then and then a second later I'm thinking, this is a terrible plan. What are we planning yeah, What am I going to do now? I'm just drive off? Yeah. In the drive um, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the best advice you've ever received? Um, about having balance in my life, uh, knowing what nourishes me and know, knowing what fills my cup. And the worst advice you've ever received? Gosh, I don't know. I don't. Maybe I don't listen. Did you I have like any like well-intentioned parenting advice or birth advice or anything like that that was just like get away from me? I am projecting here. I've had that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit of like I don't really like anyone telling me what to do. So if it's good advice, I think oh, I like the sound of that. I'll take it on. So I've probably forgotten all the bad advice. So. That's great. <laughs> I know that when I was planning on having a home birth, I was working with a doctor in a fly-in, fly-out, and he said, oh, so where are you birthing? And I'm like, oh, we thought we might just do it at home. And um, he just goes, uh, don't do it. Both you will die and your baby. <laughs> I'm like, okay, wow. <laughs> I'm not going to have that conversation with you anymore. Did you go back after and go, in your face? Yeah, look, I didn't die. <laughs> I am alive. I'm alive I my well. baby. Yeah. Sucked in. <laughs> You were wrong. That's it. Uh, complete this sentence. Being a mother is... Oh, hard. That, yes, covers it. Uh, and finally, written on your tombstone. I told you I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that before. That's such an old joke. That is the freaking best. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for coming oh, in. Oh, thank you for I having me. I wish you all the very best things and thank you for being a funny mummy. All right. See you later. <laughs>Thank you so much for joining us on the Funny Mummies podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you join our group on Facebook, the Funny Mummies group. Also, we have funnymummies.com, which has upcoming gigs, shows, fun stuff. You can find me, Jenny Winter, which is W Y 
N-T-E-R-Y, because I can. At JennyWinter.com, you can find me on Facebook at Jenny Winter Comedian, Instagram at Jen Winter, and your child could be the voice on this podcast. So if your child would like to say, with Jenny Winter, record that as a voice memo, send it through to me. You can either send it via the Facebook group or via my website and they could be the voice on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you find some funny in your day. It's the funny morning. With Jenny Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.